106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down. Shining. Well, I'm Stacks and Jacks. I'm tomorrow. Greg Peppis on the board. SP Futures down four. NASDAQ Futures down 14 and a quarter. Do we have Mr. Brennan? Yes, sir, Chief. I'm here. How are you this morning? I'm doing all right. How about you? Doing okay. You have a birthday Still- coming up, I understand. I do. Happy birthday to you yesterday, and mine's tomorrow, so today is kind of that tweener day. Yeah, so uh, which one of us is older? I think you are. All right. Well, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably in my, uh, legitimately in like 34, 35, so oh, yeah. well, you've got to be older. There you go. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, just, ridden, just ridden hard and put away wet. Yeah, and I, I uh, asked our, our girl, uh, Angelica, who had her, had her uh, birthday last week, so I said, how many birthdays is it? And she goes, 22nd. I go, no, 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 not the date, <laughs> the amount. <laughs> Any, anywho, the uh, happy birthday to you tomorrow. We won't uh, see you tomorrow. So uh, maybe, well, who knows, maybe we will, but we do. What time? Uh, um, well, I'm going to ask you, what, what do you see going on in the world? What do you, what do you think is interesting? Because I have some stuff I kind of want to talk about from some article yesterday. Of course, now I can't find but uh, I remember it, so I can ex- explain it to you, everybody. Um, what do you say? What do you, what do you make of the? Uh, what do you make of the weekend? What do you make of what's going on? What do you make of uh, Rosalind Carter? Who's a nice lady, no longer with us. Um, well, she was a nice lady, and you know, I think she and her husband Jimmy were two very. Um, they were treated very poorly uh, in, in retrospect of what they what they did. You know, I mean, they they came in at a really difficult time. And um, uh, I think they did a good job overall. I think history looks at both of them uh, much better than they were looked at, certainly in 1980. Well, yeah, people have uh, people have tremendous, uh, you know, what we call revisionist history. Yep. And people's views, unfortunately, uh, you know, and I'm. Whether you're on the left or the right, I, I have a article here someplace. Of course, now that I cleaned up, I can't find. Um, the has to do with regular people, Brennan, which I guess I put most of us and the listeners in. Uh, have, have like real lives. <clears throat> they don't really have the time to research all the stuff that's going on. And by the way, they realize that spending hours and hours learning the issues because of your vote 
your vote, your vote isn't worth squat. I mean, you don't want to lose it. I mean, it's a democratic system. But the fact is, one vote, you know, it's like peeing in Lake Michigan, right? I mean, it's uh, for all practical purposes. So people just essentially lays their way out and, and attach themselves to one side or the other. And wherever they look at an issue and they'll say, well, I'm from the right, that's how the right views it, so that's where I am, or, or the left the other way. Instead of, like, you know, me, I, you know, maybe I have the time, it's my job to watch the news for people, but I look at the issue, or an article, I don't really care who wrote it. I mean, I, I read it, and I'll read it, or I'll look at it, and I'll make my own decision. Or the guy could be a toe of the hun, and he could write an article on, on how to make, you know, the, the points of spears, the guy might be an expert, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to listen to anything else he says, but... I'll certainly listen to the, the part about. I mean, I listen to what's his name, the, the outfielder about steroids. You know, I didn't. Well, what was his who, name? Uh, yeah, <laughs> guess, guess what? The guy knew a hell of a lot more about steroids than I do, because um, I don't know anything. But so I mean, I, I you know, you look at stuff that way, and uh, I think you know, if you went through uh, the saloons tonight around the city, or tomorrow, or Wednesday, when everybody's out, or Thursday, when everybody's out, uh, and I started interviewing people regarding. Uh, inflation, they will say, inflation came under Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. It, it it couldn't couldn't be more wrong, right? You know, uh, you know. But some, he also he also had the courage to do very um, tough things to tame it. He and Volcker. Yeah, well, he made he made a decision to throw the economy into a recession during an election year, thinking he was going to win anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was a politically horrendous or, move. He could have waited a year. Well, for, for he him. could have, but but I also think he was looking at what he thought was the best interest of the country to get inflation under control. But uh, I think he, he was, also he also had the hostage situation that happened uh, at at the same time. So I mean, he was facing some some serious headwinds. But I do think that he made, um, to the extent possible, I think he made non political decisions for saving his own bacon. Or his own peanuts, if you will. Yeah, I, um, but I, still, he he made some really horrible decisions, though, Brendan. I mean, uh, I mean, Carl always talks about it. he almost single-handedly torpedoed the civilian nuclear program because mm-hmm. he absolutely couldn't. He actually could not believe that 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 should be in civilian hands. It only should be in mm-hmm. military hands. And we ne- we never got the breeder reactor we were supposed to get. You know, we never got any. There's basically been no research in any of that stuff since he was here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think there's been any new. There might be one or two. Yeah, there's probably more than a few, more than one or two. But I don't know if that was the right thing to do. Uh, Wasn't that well? I don't know what the right popular. thing to do either. But he he got painted by by a lot of stuff. You know, primarily, uh, you know, the economy at the time and the uh, the Iran hostage situation. Those are two things that really sunk his chances. And you know, the as far as the inflation goes. You're right. That was a problem that he inherited and was moving in a bad direction when he took office. And with Iran, we know that there were negotiations um, behind the scenes that were saying delay the, any release of the hostages until after the November election. Well, and I think what a lot of... I mean, I'm not a military expert. We're just, you know, when we need them. But I don't think there was... When you when you did some kind of a raid like that, I mean, when I say like that, they're, well, now they seem to happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, well, there was no SEAL Team Six. There was, there was none of that coordination between the units like there is today, and, it, and one of the reasons why there is today is because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as I recall, that wasn't a, seam, a, a SEAL Team Six type failure. 
that was being in the desert where the where the sand right. got into but, the, the mechanisms of the helicopter. So it wasn't. I mean, the execution was weather related, not not because um, of not exactly. One of my uh, friends at Pullman and then afterward, uh, brilliant man, Marty Leno was his name. I think he just passed. Uh, he was a helicopter engineer from from Bell, and then and then Boeing. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew that that particular helicopter had serious issues in sand. Matter of fact, it was a couple of generals, according to him anyway, um, brought that helicopter along, and even though they everybody knew it was a bad one, um, continued to push it because nobody wanted the egg on their face that they essentially backed the wrong horse with this helicopter. Mm. To the point where every, I don't know, every how many hundred hours or something, you had to replace the rotor, and it was titanium, for God's sake. It was like 120 or 150 grand back then. But it, it, it should not have been the helicopters they used. But you didn't have that. This became a multi-division type of rescue attempt. You would never do mm-hmm. that today. You would have, you know, SEAL Team 6, you'd have somebody, you know, one of those groups, you'd have the Army, whatever their group is. They would handle it because they've got all their stuff together. They, they know their stuff. You would never have people from different groups, I don't, I don't think. Up until a certain level, and if we got big enough, you'd have to have more people. But, but he got he got torpedoed by, you know, the people under him were essentially incompetent. Mm-hmm. Like, gee, a sandstorm in the desert? I mean, come on, how could that happen? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, so, but I mean, you know, I think I was I get this uh, core digest thing that they were Gerald. There was something happened. Somebody died, and all, or whatever. And all the presidents, the former presidents, were all in the Oval Office. There was Nixon standing there with Jerry Ford and with Carter. And, or not, uh, not, uh, yeah, and so they asked Jerry Ford, who I think is really a pretty good guy, they asked Jerry Ford, uh, like, who is the oddest person in the room or something like that? And he goes, even with Nixon in the room, Carter is the oddest duck you'll ever meet, <laughs> or something along those lines. <laughs> but he, was, he was out there, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Well, you remember, um, he had lust in his heart and he saw bunnies. Yeah. Well, but he and he and Rosalind, what they went? Didn't he he see her born or something? What? He his his mother or something was a midwife. Some really bizarre story. And when he was three years old, she she or the dad was a doctor or something took him to this home birth, and Rosalind was was born. And he was there at her birth at age three. I never heard that story. I don't remember some, something ever bizarre. That story. Yeah, I remember like last week. I'm going. Well, I mean. That's that's crazy. Talk about people. But in the of course, a hundred years ago, or ninety-six years ago, when she was born, um, home wife, home wife, home births were pretty common. Oh yeah, my uh, especially in places like rural Georgia. Uh, my mother and her whole family, uh, they were all midwife at the house, and they were that was in the twenties and thirties here. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, yeah. I want to talk to you about this. I mean, we're not going to solve these problems today, but I came across this article yesterday, of course, that I can't find. You know, it, 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 it's some some right-wing dude, which, which doesn't matter. I don't care. He's, he's a former uh, senator from some state. And he was essentially decrying the fact that a lot of people right now just flat out don't want to work. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's becoming an issue. <coughs> but it, it always kind of, I guess it always has been an issue or whatever. And I guess, and I was reading the article, and it made a whole bunch of sense. And Well, not sense. I think it, it, it's, it's fact. He was talking about there was some house or, you know, trailer or whatever the hell it was, some family and the grandfather 
there's, there's his kids and then there's their kids and they're all in this kind of little compound. Playing video games. Well, yeah, basically the kids are playing video games and a couple of the women two days a week go and help out at some nursing home or something, make a few bucks. But nobody has a job and nobody wants mm-hmm. a job and they are on every single program known to man even though you know nobody's sick or anything. And the uh, whenever... And one of one of Audrey's friends, we were at this charity thing a few weeks ago for the, uh, how's the name of it, the, the outfit that, uh, it's like the Ronald McDonald House for the, the veterans' homes, Fisher House, Fisher House, I think it is. Anyway, so she was saying, yeah, she, and she does volunteer work for this food place. She goes, yeah, you know, we got these people now that come in, and they don't, it's not like you give people enough for dinner the next three days, you know, a box of cereal and some rice and, you know, something, maybe a canned ham. She goes, they come in and they just, they just grab everything they can. And they go from place to place. And this this guy was talking about that that they go they know where every single food pantry is, and they show up and they grab wherever they can, you know, like six people in the same house, and uh, they, they've got it down. And, and nobody, like I said, a couple of the women, I think a couple of the guys do something once in a while. I mean, uh, but there actually is no now I, on a huge scale, you can look at that. And then the guy went on to say that. Uh, it used to be 67% of the people in the economy were employed, and now we're down to 62 or 3. And by the way, if that number gets much lower, the people who are working can't pay for all the people who don't want to. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, every every one of these stories is different. Some people might have disabilities, some people may have whatever. So you're not going to paint a broad brush with this. But when you and I were young, William uh, Johnson came out with his you know, Great Society program, the War on Poverty. The War on Poverty. And he was going to do all this and that and the other thing. And I think there's only one program left from that. It's Head Start, I believe. And the whole idea was that they're going to put all these programs in there, they're going to help all these people, and blah, 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 and we're going to bring people out of poverty. And, of course, if you'd have divided the amount of people that were in poverty into the amount of money and sent them a check, you wouldn't have had any poverty, at least for a while, for a year or so. And then Nixon came out later, and he said, no, screw that. Because all the money got chopped up with the people along the way, and not much of it made it to the people who actually were, were in poverty. And he came out, do you remember the uh, negative income tax? Mm-hmm. And his idea yeah. was, look, we don't care what you do. If you're not making any dough, we're sending you a check. I just don't want to hear from you. You know, and that's it. Rather than have all this other crap with people in the middle, the middlemen, I don't care if you want to sit there eating bonbons on a, you know, on a sofa in the trailer park, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, knock yourself out. But, but, but that's it. Here's your one check, and you're done. Uh, which was kind of his plan. It never really got anywhere. And my question is, it, at some point, do you have to say, even on the south side, you know, for the for a, a check, you know, for a check every week, you tell somebody, you know what, you're showing up at the school four hours twice a week, and you're washing desks or you're doing something. And, and I, somebody tried to do that, and, and it was, you know, they were disrespecting everybody. At what level here, Brendan? But I, I don't. I think it is. This guy's right in this article. This sixty-two point nine number. Well, where are we? That was, that was two thousand fourteen. We were sixty-seven point one. People were in the labor force in two thousand. All right, and we're down to sixty-two point two. Sixty-three. Yeah. Well, we were sixty-one point seven last month. But in, in, his, in the article, which I, of course I can't remember, is every every tenth of a point is how many people that the rest of the people have to essentially take care of. And I'm not talking about you know people that are disabled or that kind. Of, I guess at one point, do you have to do something, or do you have to say, "Look, for your check, you got to do something." 
You got to go wash police cars or whatever it is. I'm not saying, you know, demeaning work because you know I wash my cars. It's it's at what point do you have to say no? You can't just opt out and everybody else pay for you. Yet, how much you if you have to pay somebody to chase the guy down, is it worse doing that than just sending him a check? I mean, I don't I don't know what the answer is here and, and how you make the. But the guy's right. Well, I I think I think there are bigger problems. I I mean, first, I, I agree that able-bodied people should work and i think that we have gotten to a point where there are a lot of people in american society who don't want to work and are living off the dole in ways that was never expected i also believe though that that we have a duty that in tough times we have to help take care of folks like that who fall on tough times i mean without a doubt like depression era stuff you know what's happened in the great recession when people get thrown out of work and make sure that they don't starve on the street or aren't thrown out of their houses. But I do agree that some of the things that he said in that article, I read the article yesterday that you're talking about. Uh, I don't know if it was in the Wall Street Journal or the, or I think it was the Wall Street Journal where he had that article. Um, and he raises some good points that we have become a society where we expect too many things that we don't need for survival. And I, I think that's a tipping point. Uh, I mean, the one example he had in there was people in that trailer camp area playing video games. And it's become expected now that, you know, everybody must have the latest and greatest cell phones and have access to video games, or otherwise it's inhumane treatment to them, which I feel is, uh, is bogus. And, you know, go out and earn some money, uh, not necessarily to buy the phone, but to support your family and to feed your family. And it also inculcates uh, a, a work ethic that should be in everybody. It was implanted in me when I was very young, and I think that, that people should want to work to support themselves. Well, I think so, too. I don't, I, but I don't, I guess it's at some point, you know, this has kind of driven home to me a little bit about the migrant situation. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it has to do, I mean, I don't know what's going on in the borders. I don't, I don't know what you can do. To stop a uh, you know maybe the administration by buying some more oil from Venezuela, who knows, might help some people down there get a job. I don't know. It seems to me like it's a it's a bleep storm with their government. You know, I, the whole politics of it. I'm not smart enough to try and have a solution, but I'm I'm really struck by there's there's twenty thousand people here, which you know is a lot, but it's not mm-hmm. in a city of three million. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. I, I honestly believe that, but the amount of people protesting. They're protesting because they don't want these people to get a dime of the money that's heading for them. Right. I mean, and I, the, the, the theme of the protest, I'm, I don't know, I shouldn't be stunned, stunned, Brennan, but I am. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic, it, and it's, it's NIMBY in a different way. But it's not only money that was headed for them, it's money that has not been given to areas in Austin or Roseland or places in, in different parts of the city. I think that's part of the complaint, that... But they never is, get enough, though, Brennan. They, they never get enough. Though. No, no, I, I know that. But, yeah. but, but the, what the point that they're raising is we have needs that are very similar to the migrants' needs in our own communities with people who have been born and raised in this country or who are, have been here for generations. Why aren't you taking the money that you're building this $150 million in the budget and giving that to people in our communities? Brennan, you, you and I know that if we, if we ran that program, it would be $20 million. Right. Right. 
Just saying. Right. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. But but it's also the the NIMBY type of thing, which is really interesting. You know that that and in, in a way, you know this is this is part of the the danger of progressivism, that um, it, it's okay to talk about the immigration problem at the southern border, but once it comes into the city of Chicago or the city of New York, then it becomes a real issue because we're not we're not geared for that, um, and. You know, part of the immigration problem is that the funds that have been allocated have gone to border states like Arizona, New Mexico, Arizona, California, Southern California, um, and those monies are not following the migrants to New York, Chicago, other areas up north. Um, so there's there's a disparity there. But the big another bigger issue though is that when the migrants come, they are not able to work for a period of time, so they have to go on the dole. And I think again, you're you're reinforcing that this is what you do in America. That you come here, you get on the dole, and you'll be taken care of. And I believe that many of the migrants who are coming in want to work and support their family. You know, there was there was an interview uh, at one of the news programs last week where they interviewed a woman. She said, "I don't want the handout. Just give me a job, and I will take care of my family." So with the immigration policy and not allowing the folks to work, whether they're busing tables or washing dishes in restaurants or something, or out in the fields in California during the harvest time, um, you know, they're willing to do the work, but they're unable to because of immigration policies. Well, I my, uh, a couple of attorney buddies that I'll have an adult, adult beverage with once in a while, and they're into this, and I'm not accusing you of this, but they're into this. We had a somewhat vigorous discussion <laughs> And I said, you know, at some point, somebody has to break through the bureaucracy. I, mm-hmm. you, you want a job? You got you, I, I need, I need my snow shovel. Whatever it is, I'm, I'm not trying to make menial jobs out of this because who knows? Half these guys could. There might be someone who was a doctor for God's sake and smarter than me. But the the idea that I have uh, or a municipality has, you know, some area that hasn't been cleaned for whatever. Hey. There's ten guys for eight hours. We can knock this off. Yep. Pay everybody. Just in my mind, Brendan, you you can you can sit around all day long and talk about how how difficult it is to go to the can, or you can go to the can. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's you have to, you know. I, gee, I gotta walk all the way upstairs to the bathroom. I mean, I mean, at some point you have to just say, let's get on the bus. Let's go. I'm going to pay you cash. By the way, we're, we're joining it. We're, we're forming a credit union, or we're buying one, and everybody's going to have a credit union account with just your name. I'll get the social security number later. I'll run it, and if I pay you 200 bucks for the for the two days' work or the day's work or whatever, we're going to put 40 of it in there. So the day that, that you do get your your social security card, you can say I did work. Oh, by the way, here's my 15 percent unemployment tax, and send them a check. You know what? Right. You just friggin' do it. And and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know what did we learn as kids? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission, right? Right. I mean, I, you know, I I don't know. I mean, this whole idea that I can't I can't do anything. The the community organizer doesn't want it. This guy doesn't want it. The the, the feds don't give him. A, plus, I think some of these people actually have come through the system and, and were granted asylum and just don't have their paperwork yet. What what's mm-hmm. so? But we're gonna let everybody sleep in a tent until they do that. I mean, come on. What's the difference? Right. But I'm not I saying agree. that that's a backlog in the system, and that's one that is causing a lot of the problems. I know. It just seem like we we seem to the more the more I think about this, Brent, we got to dash. Is it? It's not. It's not the political 
side, it's, it's not the political argument that's causing the problem. The, the problem is incompetence. Incompetence and, uh, and bureaucracy are two big problems. But, I mean, your example right now of, of not having the paperwork to allow them to get a, a job is a big issue. I mean, there are a lot of stumbling blocks along the way, but that's why, you know, you know that process should be sped up so that whether the person, it, well, a doctor's a bad example, but if any of the migrants coming across are uh, you know, more capable of, of non-menial labor jobs, not just the busboys and dishwashers or farmhands, but um, but can are carpenters or tradesmen of some sort, let them work to pay their way. And that's you know part of the idea between a lot of government programs that have been established over the years is you get them in the door, you let them pay for themselves, and then they grow organically going forward. And well, why can't that, I think, is part of the problem that, that you pointed out with that article that was in the Wall Street Journal. Why, but why can't, and last question, why, why can't, if, if I don't have your Social Security number and I'm paying you, why can't I just withhold it and wait till you get it? As long as it's mm-hmm. there, who cares? As long as I withhold it, just because I can't send a check to the government, as long as I have it, and I don't spend it or steal it. What's the difference? There's the there's the trick. How many people are going to uh, not steal it or spend it on their own when they hold it back? Well, I mean, at, at PTI, when we give out a paycheck, we don't have to send the government the money that day. <laughs> Do we? I mean, I mean, we, we're, I mean we, we, even if it's four hours, we don't steal it, right? We never have. I mean, who does? Well, you haven't, but you yeah. know, there's a lot of people who work in the caste system who who do. Um, well, that's another view. So, okay. Well, don't worry. I'll withhold it, then I'm gone. I never thought of that. Brennan, take care of yourself, bud. You're, uh, you're on vacation for two weeks, right? Yep. All right, we'll see you yep. in three. Have a nice time. See you in three. SB Futures down four, Nancy Futures down 18. Be right back with Sir Joel and Cannon basking in the Michigan wind. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lower and Stocks and jocks. I'm Tamau. Greg Pappas on the board. SP futures down four and a quarter. NASDAQ futures down nineteen. Dow futures down nine. Nothing, nothing crazy. It's been very, uh, very muted the last few days, and we'll get uh, Joel's view on that in a second. But I'll give the rest of the stuff here. By the way, the, the Bears. Unbeknownst to our sports editor, one last night. You didn't stay and watch that, Chris? I did not. Oh, God. Uh, European stocks, DAX down 25.1%. FTSE down 26.3%. Kick around down 43.6%. So slightly the downside there. Nothing crazy. Over in Asia, we've got the uh, Nikkei at down 39 again, 0.2%. Hang Seng down 170, down to 17.354. It's a full percent. Shanghai up 6.2%. Uh, we have the yesterday... Talk about being being slow, slow. 
We were uh, Dow was down 56, Nasdaq down nine, S&P down uh, nine as well. So it just was a snorefest. Uh, Ten year up one basis point, 4.40. The bun unchanged at 2.54. Again, not much going on there. Oil up 80 cents, but still 75.66. Mired in the mid 70s. Brent up 80 cents, 80.81. 80, Natural gas unchanged, 2.79. Arbob up two cents, 2.20. Gold, which has been on a tear. Up another three bucks today to 2015. Silver up a penny, 2470. Copper unchanged, 376. Copper has not really participated in this gold silver run in the last couple weeks, not to any great extent anyway. Uh, crypto up 379 to Bitcoin, 37,260. And the dollar, which has been the story, pretty much unchanged today with the euro at 109.5 and the pound at 126.2. What do you got for us? Bears, I'm getting my playoff tickets. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, morning, everyone. Right now in Chicago, it's about 15 degrees, 26 today, mostly sunny, but a little bit of cold. Uh, Phoenix, 53 degrees right now, 76 today with some sun. Traffic, inbound Kendi from Montrose, 17 minutes. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 40 minutes. Inbound Ike from Wolf, 29 minutes. And the Ryan, 95th to the interchange, 16 minutes. Stevenson, 294 to the Ryan is 22 minutes. NFL, Bears beat the Vikings in Minnesota. That was 12 to 10, no touchdowns, but still pulled it out at the end. Um, NHL, we got the Hawks and the Coyotes playing tonight, both at home. And then NBA Bulls play Celtics tonight. That's all I got, Chief. Thank you. Do we have Mr. Joel basking in the reflected glory? Joel, you with us? Joel? Well, we seem to. Well, he was on. I think uh, be back. he was on on his phone, so maybe he needs a better connection. So the uh, he'll be back. I was watching Dub Bears last night with a few Bears fans. What a group! Uh, although they didn't have their jerseys on, they were a little bit remiss in that. We were downstairs in the in the local emporium, and uh, I'm here, Chief. I'm sorry go. about that. No yeah, problem. sorry about that. I tried to uh, tried to connect on my phone, and it didn't work out. How you doing, Chief? I'm doing fine. Are you off to Indianapolis this weekend? Uh, I am not. I am not. My mantra is to go uh, to hold out for the championship game. Uh, hopefully we beat Iowa, and then we uh, win our first playoff game, and then off to Houston for the championship game. But uh, a hell of a game. Oh, yeah. Um, really, really proud of the Wolverines, the way they played. Ohio State played well. Um, I think the quarterback play, you had a, a guy playing the first time in the big house for Ohio State. It was a little difficult, but uh, they beat all the odds, Chief. And uh, Big Ten champs, three three times we beat Ohio State. Uh, the first time we beat them three times in a row since 95 through 97. And uh, that was my 27th Michigan-Ohio State game. I am wow. now 13-13-1. Thir- uh, and you remember. That's that's cool. How about Ryan Day being out coached? That was awesome. Yeah. Well, what? Uh, all right. I didn't. I didn't look at the sta- standings. Yeah, the Is Ohio State out. still in the top four or no? No, they they uh, got bumped out. Uh, even though the ESPN poll has them uh, still ranked ahead of Michigan, I don't know how they came up with that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> but Georgia one, Michigan two, Washington three, and they still got. Um, they still got Florida State at four, even though I think they're down to their third-string quarterback. What um, you have just proven that you have a much better memory on this from me, uh, even though most of us, you know, get the feeling in our stomach when somebody gets hurt. 
Have you ever seen anybody just dropping the rankings because their star got hurt just just because of that? I I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Although maybe it has happened. I, and Florida State still hasn't lost, right? That is correct. They're still undefeated. I mean, it, uh, you know, it's tough. I I don't think I've uh, we've seen that kind of circumstance uh, arise in the, no. in the modern era. But um, certainly penalizes the rest of the team. It will be. Uh, you know, uh, they, they, I believe they still have an ACC championship game. So is that kid, uh, that kid going to be all right, or is he totally he got hurt pretty bad? Yeah, he's. Uh, I know he's out for the season. I don't have the details of the injury. Well, the original but, uh, quote was that he said he's, his career might be over or something. It's a broken leg, right? I'm not uh, sure. <laughs> I'm not positive. Not, yeah, I'm not positive on that. Michigan did lose a star offensive lineman. Uh, who got hurt, and uh, he broke his tibula and his fibula. Wow. Um, yeah, so, but then um, he, you know, he gave the thumbs. He didn't look in a lot of pain, but, uh, you know, that's going to be something, uh, you know, to keep an eye on. The, the offensive line is very important, protecting the quarterback. But um, as of right now, well, next man up, Chief. Well, yeah, except you're not... You know, I, I had an opportunity to talk about a. I'll keep this really brief. I'm talking about the market. Uh, John's brother Pete is a you know big buddy of yeah. Pete Carroll's, right? So uh, we back when Pete Carroll was coaching Southern Cal, we went down and the, they have a they have a you know, practice in Notre Dame Stadium like you know the day before. So we went down on a Friday and uh, and you know and we're out there and I shook hands with Pete Carroll. It's it's really interesting to watch the Southern Cal people come walking in. There's like five or six guys that were like mostly you could tell they were kind of like Samoan dudes, uh, real <laughs> real big. Uh, I'm going okay. There's the offensive line. <laughs> you know, yeah. and some guys come in and I went bad with six four in those days. The guys come by and they're like six five six six and they're big guys. I'm going okay. There's the defensive line. You know, I mean it, you can sort of tell, but yet out of the 85 people they had, probably 40 some of them were like you know. I'm going to say six foot two, 210 pound, very fast. Probably were great in high school. You know, mostly white guys. That uh, you know, there you only have so many guys that are offensive linemen in any of these schools that are capable of playing a Big Ten schedule or something. Like, there's not there's not 20 offensive linemen on your team that you can interchange. It's not like the pros kind of thing. I mean, if you lose a couple of your good offensive linemen, you're struggling in college, no matter who you are. Or if you lose, a, you know, a couple of good receivers, you don't have five. I mean, you just don't, unless you're you happen to be a lucky year that year that you're, that's a position you're loaded in. You know what I'm saying? It, the depth is really hard to get. Yeah, and uh, now with uh, you know guys moving around and, and the transfer portal, portal and everything, it's um it, it, it's very difficult. I think that's one thing that uh, Harbaugh has uh, done over the last few years. You know, we used to get a lot of the the five stars, the four and the five stars, you know, they everyone wants to be a superstar, but over the last few years he's cultivated, you know, a lot of three and four stars, and um, you know, that that's provided depth, but yep. uh, the, the site, yeah, the um, offensive line, I, I believe Michigan's won the best offensive line uh, in the country the last couple years. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Sharon Moore, 
who is the acting head coach. Uh, he is the offensive line coach and the offensive coordinator. Uh, one of the the few coaches in, in America that have both those roles. And then, of course, he took the role on as acting head coach in the, uh, in the absence of Harbaugh. So I hope someone doesn't pluck us from before Harbaugh leaves, but... Uh, who knows what the story is with oh, yeah. him. But right now, it's win and move on. Beat Ohio State three times in a row, and man, man, it's just uh, it's a great feeling. What uh, gotta, gotta ask you a question about the, we've got the interest rates dropping some here. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how far are they going to go? Enough to do any anybody any good? And is the market, the market's this holding pattern? Is this, I think if you're in the, in the camp that thinks that the market is at least some pieces of the market are valued pretty high i guess the one thing you'd like to have happen is for things to just chill out for a while and have the rest of the economy catch up is there a chance that can happen or no uh i mean just uh alluding to the uh consolidation here i mean this is eerily quiet chief and uh coming in the month end here the volatility is just dropped off a cliff and you know you still have your you know your magnificent seven uh leading the way the you know the the small caps uh keep uh keep trying to get off the mat i mean are you setting up for a santa claus rally here it's uh it's really a battle of the bulls and the bears right here and uh you know trying to be patient i think it's important to take out last week's high um, in the S&P, we kind of tapered off, but it seems like when we get these retreats, they're they're very shallow. So, consolidation station here, Chief. We'll wait to see if we can bust above 4580 or, you know, work our way through, I believe, like the three or four day low is at uh, 4543. So, tight range, and uh, we'll see if it continues another session. Well, I don't, I don't see how you can I use the term, you, you can't trust the Fed to fight inflation. I mean, you, you got to trust them to Keep asset prices up now. Whether they keep pushing them up, I think they probably won't. But I don't. I don't see them letting them go down. We could. We could be like this to the election. I'm not predicting that, but we could just be in this this no man's land. I mean, even the rest of the world is doing the same thing. Uh, historically, you know, uh, the the market has done well in election years, and a lot of people are anticipating that the government, you know, or not the government, but the Fed will uh, uh, loosen rates up a little bit in 2024. But uh, it all depends on how you gauge inflation. You know, what level is that? Is it really as low as the statistics say? Um, but one thing about you know, lower inflation, people are spending less money. And what does that lead? That could lead to a potential slowdown in the economy. Well, the the part that, as, you know, my half-assed economist that I am, uh, the part that, one of the things that really frosts me about this, Joel, and you, you, you don't do it on purpose, and most, the, 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 cons- the inflation and the price level, those two words are not synonymous. I mean, the, the, the inflation has come down the rate of change of prices i don't think i think everybody understands that but there's been no attack whatsoever and there's people on tv that'll say inflation has come down you can spend more and i'll go wait a minute the price hasn't come down the rate of the rate of increase has come down that's a whole <laughs> mathematically they're not the same <laughs> i don't think I mean, it's a great debate chief it's a great debate. We do have some PCE numbers coming out yep. on uh, on Thursday. That uh, one uh, government measure, that uh, one tool they like to use to gauge inflation, and then we'll just have to wait for the November CPI and PPI data. Uh, you know, however they calculate it, that's the information that you know we get delivered to us, and we'll have to digest. I don't think rates are going anywhere for a while, Chief. I don't uh, care either. I, I I really don't. I think that um, you know stability. 
uh, for longer. I don't think we're going that necessarily higher. And I think, and we all know that you know the lower artificial rates were not good for the economy in the long run. So I'm I'm in the four to six camp for I don't know how long. Yeah, me too. But so the the, the Indianapolis is, is this weekend, right? It is eight o'clock Saturday night. Yep. Because uh, Iowa, I mean, I, I've watched Iowa a few times. I don't think they're in the same class, uh, are they? Uh, Michigan's a 24-point favorite. Like I said. <laughs> like I said. All right, bud, thank you very much. SP Features down 6, Nancy Features down 26. Real quick break, then Kenny Polkary. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding health care reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm We have Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures down six. Nasdaq Futures down twenty-six. Hey, uh, two things, Greg. I want to talk about the the, the Bears. I'm listening to my game. My well, until Kenny calls in, if he calls in, hopefully he does. Uh, our guys uh, were all over the offensive coordinator last night because they weren't throwing deep and they weren't doing that. I'm watching the game, and I, you know, I was a actually a half-ass coach in a really good in a really good touch league. Uh, and you have to touch is interesting because uh, um, quarterback is eligible, which they are in a shotgun in football as well. But the uh, every had a different. You 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 used your your people on your team depending on what you had. Greg, there was a I team. I think everybody was kind of a little surprised. The over under for the uh, game was. 42 or 42 and a half. I think the under one. Yeah, depending on where you looked. But, um, yeah, they got it wrong both ways in that over-under was 42 and a half. wasn't even close. And Minnesota was actually favored by three. You know, So they they got it, which isn't a lot, actually, given that they were at home. But, yeah, everyone was a little surprised. Well, they have quarterback issues as well. But 
you know, it, sometimes you have to look and see what you have. And in this, you, you'd love this, Greg. In this touch league, there were people, if you had two, I'll say, stout blockers, everybody would have a center, two blockers, three receivers, and, and the, uh, and the uh, quarterback, right? Well, one team didn't have any blockers. <laughs> so they would put three guys back 10 yards deep uh, that were all sort of quarterbacks. So you'd, you'd center the ball to the to the uh, guy in the middle, and if you rushed him, he, he'd throw it to one of the other guys, like lateral out 10 yards, and they'd all have to head out for a pass. They're all fast as hell. And one team had a guy who was just an absolute brick that was a blocker, and he they had one blocker. So right. and whatever, whatever the two guys would rush, which was normal, he'd nail one of them, and the quarterback would roll that way, and the other guy couldn't catch the quarterback, you know, because the quarterback was fast too. So... The Bears last night, I think that the game plan for a team with essentially no offensive line was close to brilliant. I mean, I, he, he didn't throw it deep. There's no way in the world the guy could could expect. Well, they tried to throw it 37 times. I mean, that's... But they did. They're all nickel and dimers. He, the first 15 passes he completed, the, the longest one was, what, seven yards or something? Eight and they, I mean, there were 18 first downs. Yeah, well, I'm, what I'm saying is when you don't have something, I, I, I uh, hearken back to a... They averaged over four per rush. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, they, they run, the offensive line can block pretty well, yeah. and they got some backs. Plus and the quarterback, the quarterback can run. So you, you have to watch the quarterback, which opens up the rest of your run game. And he got out of how many sack situations just because he's fast. But I hearken back to a, the Irish played a bowl game. It wasn't, it wasn't a national championship game. It was a bowl game in our, our late season, really good game against... I think it was Florida State, and the Irish, for whatever reason, a couple guys got hurt or didn't have any, They had they had no pass rush whatsoever. They just didn't have one. I mean, they, they you know they had guys that could defend the run a little bit. So Lou Holtz was the coach, and Lou just said, "Screw it, we don't have a pass rush." We, so he lined up three guys, and he had them stay in their lanes and rush every play and just put eight people back in coverage. And he absolutely mystified this, this Florida State quarterback because there's eight guys back there. He threw like three interceptions. All he saw was, were white jerseys. <laughs> and they just That's a failure, really, of the other, pers- the other team not just running the ball. Well, they, the, the, the defensive linemen were pretty decent at, at uh, you know, not at, at, uh, at I mean, run. As soon as you do and they that, had fast linebackers. And out of whatever, whatever defense you got, you, you see that more than once. And well, I'm saying the guy just was dropping back. They had a passing offense. And Lou Holtz said, why am I going to put five people up there and jam them all up? Why don't I just put three? They can't rush anyway. And, I'll put them. and he, had, he had a lot of good deep backs and a couple of good linebackers. And they, and they won. And everybody thought, what kind of defense is that? Right, which is probably what you should be doing the entire, as a strategy in general. Well, I mean, you also, the idea in, in virtually all sports, I mean, is this whole idea, oh, man, the guy, we, we, don't, we don't have a power forward. We, but we got stuck with these, you know, two all-pro centers. The idea is to get your best 11 players on the field, right? I mean, to a certain extent. You're not going to play four halfbacks and no tackle. But if, if all of a sudden you have mm-hmm. five really good deep backs and you got no decent linemen, well, duh, what <laughs> the five yeah. deep? I mean, to as, to as much as you can, get your guys out there, right? It makes sense to use always play to your strengths. But yeah. Sometimes... 
it should when when there's such a weakness, you know, you'd expect the other team to just go after it. Well, you're you're not going to Bears aren't going to win like that every week. They, they <laughs> ran across they, they ran across the team. <laughs> no with, points or no yeah, with a bad quarterback, with yeah. a quarterback problem and everything else. But I mean, they it, they've shown it game after game that in the last four minutes they can't all of a sudden turn into a I use the term regular pro offense where his kid drops back and expects protection five six plays in a row. He's just not going to get it. With right. that line, so so why keep thinking every week you've got it when you don't? Yeah, that's, and they do let him run sometimes. So yeah, or well, is that more of a necessity? I think it's more of a necessity, but he is amazingly fast in the sense that there well, were guys. He has to be a couple of guys had him wrapped so, up last night and he got out somehow. Yeah. He he has to be. Yeah, and I think I think you'll see. I don't know what's next week. The Lions. <clears throat> I think the Lions will. <laughs> yeah, well, will, they got a really good to team. go directly after the weaknesses because. Well, they almost you know, beat they, the Lions with the yeah, same. They, <laughs> they almost beat the Lions with the same kind of right. Uh, attack. Right, and I don't think you get them twice like that. It's well, it does several things. I mean, it, first of all, it's not the fans don't like it. But it does a bunch of things. The, the the first drive, even though the guy missed the field, was it the first drive he missed the field? Whatever, it took like six minutes, right? Right. So the other guys, well, I guess they can, but they're not going to score if they're not on the field. So the idea is you got to keep them off the field. The reason why, what was the time possession last night? Bears had to have a big advantage. Well, clock management is always plays in as you get more and more advanced. But, you know, ideally you'd go back to the basics of just making sure that your quarterback has – has can release in less than you know four and a half seconds or whatever his average time is. Well, I mean, your other your other team's offense can't hurt you if they're on the bench. No, that was actually a lot. <laughs> a lot of the Michigan Ohio State game was was interesting to watch that way. I think that Ryan Day was just behind most of the game, even though you know Harbaugh was <laughs> at the hotel or whatever. <laughs> it would, didn't matter much. Well, I mean he. The uh, I think those guys have everything pretty well figured out what they're going to be doing and so forth. But uh, yeah, the I, I would say that uh, who, who, do you, who do you like in the NFL now? Who's your who's your strongest team? Give us your give us your report. You're Mr. Fantasy guy. The strongest team? Yeah, is, 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 it, is anybody who's going to beat the uh, Eagles? Uh, it doesn't look like it. I saw this one <laughs> this one video. It was a cut together of I th- who some someone interviewing Hertz saying. You know, welcome to the NFL. How many times do you lose in college? And he goes, I lost four times. And he goes, well, you realize that, you know, that's not going to happen in the NFL. <laughs> and he goes, we'll see. And then it shows his record for the past 34 games. It's 30 and 4. <laughs> well, who's but the guy that, that was... That was such a, a great video. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, the uh, you know some of these guys that are, that are coming up that are... Uh, <clears throat> I watched one of the guys. I, I watched the games on Sunday. It becomes kind of a blur who's who, but... The one, the one quarterback, the kid, the first day he showed up in high school, he started every game. Then he would go to Washington or Washington State where he started every game. And he, he, he played behind somebody for a little while. Now somebody got hurt and he's in. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But the, the, he wasn't even drafted. The kid's like, what'd you, what did, did you learn something playing behind somebody? He goes, yeah, I sort of did. He goes, I've never done it before. I've never <laughs> done it, yeah. I've never played behind It'd be behind interesting anybody. to see how the 49ers respond. I mean, they're they're kind of... Uh, they're riding McCaffrey pretty hard, but it seems like you know Purdy can can carry the can carry the team when they need him to. They had a few people hurt, right? They came back. Is it? Then they have a 
they like th- they lost three in a row in the middle of the year. Well, they've <laughs> that w- those were the only three. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say those guys are in the hunt. Um, clearly, uh, Baltimore's in the hunt. Yeah, they. Uh, and you get uh, after Jackson, if, if you, you can can't count Kansas him, City out, you can contain him. That's the biggest thing there. That's well, you can't count Kansas City out. So who else is? I don't the know. Other? They look pretty vulnerable, in my opinion. Well, I, I don't think they're as good as the other ones, but I wouldn't. They're not. A, they're not a walkover as long as that kid's playing quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I mean they, you, you put the guy from uh, Miami back on their team, and they're the best again. Right. Uh, Officially, I mean, Dallas is eight and three, also, and they've got they've got um, what McCarthy calling the plays or whatever. It seems to it seems to be working. But they have, they 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 again have a real serious offensive line, which helps them out a lot. Yeah. But uh, he, here, just look at the Lions. I mean. I don't think I don't think people think the, the Lions are that level. Probably not. They're never a year away for two from being that level. I don't. They look horrible against the Bears. Yeah, you got to look horrible in a couple games, though. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, look at the Patriots. <laughs> they look horrible every game. Yeah, those guys are uh, they're as bad as the Bears. <laughs> you think what's his Hate name? Hate to see it. Is Hate he going to gonna quit? Um, they were talking about him going somewhere else. Well, I mean he. But he's the general manager, right? Yeah, and he's doing a terrible job at it. And they're saying, well, maybe we should have divided up those. But I guess that's what he wanted. So maybe he, you know, save some face and say, well, this hasn't worked out. I, I need to focus on coaching. But I doubt, you know, you'd take a demotion. Hey, real quick, I want to ask you, uh, a, uh, we were talking yesterday about pairs trading and how things match up and how you, uh, we, we were looking at that commodity versus equities chart. One of the positions I've had for a while here, and I'd like a fresh opinion, um, we have had positions of the GDX, which is the Gold Miners Index. And for some reason now, over the last year or two, as gold has crept up here, uh, the Gold Miners Index appears to be lagging. Uh, and and uh, Dan Janita says, stick with it. One of these days, they're going to match up. And if somebody hedged their gold or something, which they don't really report much anymore, one of these days, the hedge is going to come off, and they're going to have—they're going to be making a lot of dough, and these, these stocks are going to go up. Um, how long do you, do you hang with something like that? I mean, the last time gold or a GC, which is the gold ETF, was 2015. The GDX was probably 34, and now it's barely making it to 30. Yeah, in my tiny head, gold is more of a currency, and you, it trades as such. But um, a lot of people say, you know, commodity. But in but in terms of the people making money on it, you know that's its its own its own uh, not only currency but uh, cash generating uh, problem too. So strong dollar, you look at the strong dollar, and then also I'd I'd say that the underlying price of gold, you know, the whatever their break even is is if are they getting closer to it or are they getting farther from it, and that's how you can see. How GDX moves around. Well, they used to wait way back. Yeah, we're still on the old floor. So, you meaning if if their if their uh, their price to break even is going up, even if they're making more money, I I would still see the sentiment stalling just because that you know you're going the wrong way. But it should it shouldn't be linear. It shouldn't be because if if gold goes up a hundred bucks, whatever their costs are. 
they, they can go up 100 bucks with the next $100 increase in gold. There's going to come a point where if gold keeps going up where the, the next 100 bucks is like damn near pure profit. Right. And when you would think that there would be a... But so far it hasn't happened yet, I guess. And, uh, but that, right. this is what happens when you do these kind of... The dollar is, has been super strong and the... Except for the last week or two. And their... Right. And their... Um, their cost to bring it out of the ground, you know, their break-even has gone up. So that that's what I would be looking at as the just underlying driver driving the emotions around. But you know what I can't... I can't... Uh, I don't see as much anymore. When we used to trade Barrick Gold and there were a couple others, you actually Wait, trade... Company. Aren't they a big part of this? Oh, sure. But I'm yeah. saying they used to... You actually... They would put out what they've hedged. So you could sort of tell if they were hedged or not. You know, if the gold went from 800 to... A thousand, but they had hedged everything at eight fifty. It didn't do them any good until the hedge came off, right? Yeah. That, that so now I don't. Sense. I don't. I get maybe they're still around. I just haven't found them. And since everybody trades the index instead of the individual ones, I don't I mean there's no way you can put a hedge number on there for an index. So maybe it's maybe I shouldn't be paying trained uh, doing the index. Maybe I should be doing the individual stacks where I could find out more about them. Anyway, S and P futures down nine. S and P futures down forty one. We're leaking here a little bit. We'll be right back with the professor. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Let's go. Lone Rovac, Stocks and Jocks. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures down 10. Nasdaq's down 44. Do we have the professor? Hey, good morning, Tom. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Good. Are you are you freezing yeah, out there like the we show. are here? I'm freezing. Yeah. The uh, this weekend I was working on the boiler, um, burnt wire to the uh, the gas valve was just looked like Swiss cheese, and I replaced it. But now the boiler is saying that there's no there's no uh, way for the exhaust to leave. It's kind of backed up, and it turns off. So we're on electric heat right now. <laughs> uh, that's not good. Do you have a, yeah. a, a is, when you say boiler, is this hot water? It's a one steam pipe boiler system in a 120-year-old house. Oh, God. And I've gotten pretty good at keeping it going. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm an old I'm an old uh, Navy nuke uh, uh, boiler mechanic when I was in the Navy back in the early 90s. So um, nuclear physics and uh, auto repair and HVAC repair are uh, my hobbies. The uh, for those that don't, have no idea what he's talking about, there are there's hot water systems where you actually have a, 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 a pipe that goes to the radiator, and then it flows through the radiator and comes back down on a circuit. Actually, if the house is stacked up on top of each other, you don't even really need a pump. It, it's all the heat makes the oh, water yeah, move. Right? 
Well, this one's not a hot water system. It's a, a steam system. Right. And what happens is the bo- the water turns to steam in the boiler, and then the steam pushes the air up through the one pipe to each radiator. And then you have these vent valves that release air. But then when the air is all released, it traps the steam in the radiator, and that stays like that until the thermostat gets warm enough where it turns off the flame. And then all that steam will condense, and that air vent on the radiator will open, allowing the air in so the steam and water can go back to the boiler. It drains right down, right down the same pipe, so it's like a pulsing system. Yeah, it's just a one-pipe one system, yeah. So steam goes up, air is released. Once the air is released, the valve shuts, and then it stays in the system until the thermostat is satisfied, and then the flame turns off, and then the steam condenses into water. And it wouldn't flow back to the boiler unless that air vent on the radiator opens and lets the air in. I had a, so it's, it's a dirty system, too, because air and water inside of steam pipes turns into rust. So it's kind of a dirty system, too. I had a, a place in Beverly at home. It was a, a vacuum steam system. So it was a steam mm-hmm. system, but it had, it had a return pipe as well. Oh, wow. Which was interesting. Uh, yeah. And so the, the air would leave down in the basement. There was a little a little valve with a, with, a, with a big, kind of a heavy, looked like a big marble, like a huge boulder, but it was steel, so it was heavy. It, when you had a, a pulse in the steam, the the, the, the ball would, would go up in the little joint, and you hear the air, psh, psh, and then it would drop back <laughs> down. And uh, it was pretty interesting, but you had to get used to it because it was noisy. You always thought there were people in the house. You're trying to sleep. Well, yeah, the, the, the problem with it is if there's water, if there's that noise, the banging noise, all that is is just water in the drain lines. And in th- this house, the house is kind of like settled in the center. And so the pipes kind of lean away, not toward <laughs> the boiler, but they lean toward the outer walls. And so you get water in the... When the boiler starts up again, the steam, hot, hot steam, hits that cold water. And that causes a boiling. And that boiling at the bubbles are the, are the, the noises that you hear slamming into the, the pipe. We call it water hammer in the Navy. God. It's, uh, my grandfather was a master boilermaker in a railroad. Oh, really? Wow. That's why I kind of know some of this stuff. But but the guys also at Pullman were, they were all, uh, this guy, Marty Leno, I talked about earlier, in addition to being a a, uh, a uh, helicopter engineer and so forth, his his parents in Philadelphia, in a big old city, had the, like the biggest uh, supply thing for all the different units in in Philadelphia, and he did all kinds of steam systems and vacuum steam systems and all those, all those old buildings. Yeah. And his parents stocked all that stuff. And he went to school to be a mechanical engineer and knew everything about heating systems and AC systems. They're pretty, they're pretty complicated. I mean, railroad cars, they're real complicated. Yeah. Because well, the, one with, the one where I'm living in now, the house we're living in now with my in-laws, it's their house. And the problem with it is, you know, in New York, you can get some really sketchy people doing maintenance on your on your stuff and it's expensive so sometimes when money's tight you hire somebody that's not very good i went down there and the wiring is just unbelievably kind of messed up and so i think one of my projects during the the christmas break is i'm going to get some thermostat wire and i'm going to rerun all the wire i'm going to i'm going to run it from the the circuit board out to the thermostat down into the the valve and to the sensors just because it's it, it's just a mess. I mean, it's like fifteen thousand for people worked on the system. Oh god, yeah, it can be yeah. a it, it can be sort of a disaster, especially if people 
start adding to the system or putting an addition on and you try and tie into the old system, it can be a real mess. Yeah, the, the wire to that gas valve was melted. And then somebody put tape around it. Uh, it was corroded. And when you have corroded wires like that, uh, there's only 24 volt volts of AC going through that wire. But when you have that kind of corrosion on it, you can get a voltage drop. And then that causes the gas pilot to bounce up and down the gas valve to bounce up and down the solenoid's not energized so it can't create the magnet that you need to keep it open and it chatters and so i replaced the uh, wire and the chattering went down a little bit but what the problem is that it did damage to the the pilot valve or the, the gas valve and i got to replace it oh yeah it's a for, i mean for whatever it's, it's not exactly stacks and jacks but for whatever reason all your your wires like turn on your pumps and stuff and all they're not they're not 110 volt they're all the smaller they're like a doorbell Oh yeah, they're, yeah, it's, they're different, exactly different right. voltage. It's, yeah, it's eighteen. It's eighteen gauge um, solid wire. Yeah, and that's weird. another problem with it is that that wire ran about a foot away from the flame, and oh, somebody had put this general wire in there, and that general wire is the stuff that melted. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if you were if you had a chance to listen earlier, but there was an article. I I, uh, I must I don't know if I sent it or, or maybe I just uh, read it and sort of Brendan it had to do with. Um, it was you know he's a some guy writes this article, and I have a feeling it was a kind of a right right wing. It doesn't matter. But he was talking about how so many people now have decided they don't they don't have to work, and how other people are essentially paying for it because they're they're basically leeches on the system. Now he's not. I don't think he's talking about people who are legitimately disabled and all the other stuff because there there's a lot of that going on. I mean, uh, you read these stories about people that are. I mean, one of the best was uh, I don't know if you remember this, and you know Greg. He can find some of this stuff. You heard John Flanagan. There was a guy who wrote a uh, uh, a four, probably a four day, several page, you know, almost like a Pulitzer Prize winning kind of thing. The Washington Post. This goes back, you know, how long? And uh, it had to do with the horseshoe of despair. And he talked about, you know, you start out in uh, you know West Virginia and you run south to Alabama and across the Mississippi and up into Arkansas and how, or even into Missouri. And how there's people there that just you know it's just really poor rural America, and there was a uh, county in Alabama where some doctor was essentially getting as many people as he can onto Social Security long-term disability, which is essentially you know that was never a part of Social Security that was ever drained down before. Now I guess it is getting drained down, but there are all these people in this county that were on essentially Social Security long-term disability. And they interviewed this one lady, and she's she had been working in a in a uh, well a care care place, I guess if I wanted to be I'd say an old people's home type of thing. Evidently, they didn't have any of the equipment where they help you get people out of bed and so forth. So she's lifting people out of bed for, her, and she gets to be fifty. And guess what? She's got a bad back, duh. And uh, so there's a lot of people in that, and and she basically said, well, you know, she didn't know one person who had a job sitting down. Everybody she knew was either, you know, pulling sick people out of bed or doing something or cooking or whatever. And she said, yeah, we, we could all work if we had a job where we could, like, sit. But there aren't any of those around here. Yeah. And uh, and you, you look at it, anyway, the, the sub, and the guy was talking about a certain family and all they were doing was grabbing every check they could and everything. There was a, there was a food pantry. They wouldn't go and try and get stuff for one dinner. They were all grabbing as much as they possibly could, which is a phenomenon that's happening here, by the way. The lady, 
Audrey's friend, and I don't repeat myself, I know, from the first hour, but she, she helps out at this one food pantry. They, they don't do hot food like the food depository, but just people show up and, they're, they're, and they, like, ransack the place. You know, it's not like everybody comes and gets, you know, a couple, couple things of cereal for the week and then a couple things of something for dinner and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Every, you know, it's as much as you can grab. And you really, you really don't want to start winging, punching people, and, you know, throwing them out of line in the food pantry. But anyway, this guy's point on the economic stage is that the rest of the people can't afford to pay for people who are actually healthy and want to play video games all day. And I, I dug out, digged, I digged out the uh, uh, A1 unemployment numbers. And if we go back to 2000, all right, there's 136. I'll round it up. 136. Say 137 million people that are employed, all right, in this country. Uh, there's six million that are unemployed, but there's basically 70 million that we don't know what they're doing. They're disabled. They're students. They're something. Okay, so you, know, you know, I mean, I don't know what the what the breakdown is, but so we're talking. If you go from there to today, so we start out with a 137 million working, and now we've got 161. So we've added 24 and a half million people. To essentially the working group, right? But now the other group that we don't know what they're doing, uh, and again, this is a lot of its students, started out as, as 70 million, like I said, and now we're up to 99. So we've actually added more people into that column than we did in the working column. And this guy's point is we've got 60, we now have 60.2% of the people. That, well, 62.7 are in the workforce, meaning either working or looking for a job, working or unemployed. That's why the interplay with, between these second, the second and third column is what's weird. Nobody ever talks about. Let's say there's 60% of the people that are that are actually that are actually working, and that number in 2000 was 64.4. And in this article, they said every percent down is like, you know, half a million people that now are basically at. They're not, if they're students or not, but they, they could be essentially on the dole. So, and his point is, if this number gets to like, well, he didn't say it in the article, but I'm guessing, if he wanted to say it correctly, if that number gets to 55 or 50, guess what? We roll over. Because you can't, you can't do that. Um, what, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, everybody knows, I, well, I think everybody knows, I've been a few times, I took four years of Latin in high school, which is absolutely useless. I, I learned no Latin. But I did learn a lot about Roman history, and I know they ended up with the dull, where people never worked, and all they did was get their grain every day and, and show up for the gladiator fights. And I don't want to go down that road. Uh, but are we there, or what are we doing? Well, I think we're. I, I think uh, it's important to point out that the baby boomers are retiring, so I think that probably explains some of that drop. Also, I think a lot of young people, uh, they, they might be doing uh, side gigs where they're not like, you know, like gig economy side gigs, where they're not really uh, working for a company that, you know, everybody in my age group or your age group, I mean, we, all, we want to graduate and get a job at a company and work there for 20 years. I think a lot of young people aren't doing that anymore. I think they got a lot of side gigs. So I think there's probably a lot of work that's happening that's not being captured by these statistics not, not, so I, not I would, 10 million I, I would caution not yeah. 10 million I, I know yeah. yeah I know but I, I would caution people that it's not 10 million people that are 
sitting at home playing video games. I don't think it's 10 million. I, th I think a lot of that number is, you know, people who are baby boomers or who people who are legitimately disabled. I, I'm uh, with, I, 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 yeah. I, I try to be careful by saying, yeah. but when you start going every, every few months, another percentage point, another percentage point, there, there is a, there is a spot here where the, the thing that has me, you know, thinking about this is that in Chicago now we have some of the migrants here, which you do in New York as well. And I'm really stunned. I guess I should have expected it, but I'm really stunned about the people that are protesting saying, we don't want to give these people any, I'll say, welfare benefits that we think should go our way. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think it's probably going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I don't, I mean, it's at some point, I mean, are, are we, I mean, I was never, <laughs> I remember when I was in college, five days in a row, you know what I'm saying, in these crummy, crummy yards by the expressway, sitting there trying to get a job because they were redoing it to Dan Ryan that summer, and we never, never got hired because, you know, it, it was so crooked now, I mean, in Chicago being crooked. I, the first, uh, I show up and there's this, well, first day I'm sitting there next to this guy, and the second day I start talking to him, this black dude, nice guy, family, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this guy deserves a job more than I do. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I didn't... I didn't need it to buy. I needed it to buy beer. This <laughs> guy needed it for his family, yeah. right? And we're talking about in those days. I'm going to say eight, nine, ten bucks an hour. This is 1972, for God's sake. So it was, yeah. it was a real job. And now they were doing the. You know, they were trying to do some minority hiring, which I had no problem with because a lot of these guys, like I said, had were family heads of family. And uh, but then all of a sudden, there were guys that were in the coalition. There were guys that had their community organizer. They were they were their guys. And I was talking to one of those guys. Now he had to give two bucks an hour of what he was. You know, he's going to be a preferred hiree, and uh, and he was going to have to give the guy a buck, buck and a half an hour kickback to the, the organizer, which you know I thought and still think like really sucked. Uh, anyway, all of a sudden one day there was uh, they wouldn't hire and not hiring today, not hiring today, and on a Sunday night about midnight. The guys who were in the know, the organizers guys showed up and they all got hired at Sunday, like on a midnight, and I didn't get hired. You know, this this poor guy I was talking to the whole time. You know, I mean, it's but at least you had people there trying to trying to get a job. I don't know now if you had to put if you put in so many schools. Uh, by the way, you know, painting twenty five houses this summer will pay a hundred dollars an hour. I don't think you get anybody. It's it's beneath everybody or something, right? Painted houses for a long time. I mean, there's something going yeah. on here, Harold, that I don't, I don't quite get. Well, you know, on college campuses, you know, a lot of people don't really understand this, but on college campuses, there, there are things that go around the campuses that are circulated, and they're called microaggressions. And uh, one microaggression is work hard. You can't say work hard on some college campuses because it's uh, colonialism, right? It's a microaggression against people of color. And I'm I'm on college campuses, and I remember how hard Michael Jordan worked, and and how hard Scottie Pippen worked to win all those championships. And half the people at Pullman me, were were black, and they worked pretty hard. Sure looked to me like they were working yeah. pretty hard. So, I think there's this this stuff that seeped into the culture that um, we don't need to, to work hard. The unemployment rate is low, and the unemployment rate is low. Um, people don't really value their job as much because if the unemployment rate's low. They can easily uh, leave and go to another company to get a job. Um, so this goes back to the argument that some unemployment is good. 
um, with it being so low, I think that's one reason why young people, there's this trend on, on TikTok or social media, or, uh, I, I'm not sure which one it is, where young people are quiet quitting. They do the, the minimal amount of work on the job, just enough where they don't have, they don't, they're not gonna get fired. And I think that, that, that can happen in a situation where the unemployment rate is really, really low. But I think it, it goes back to this culture that's, you know, pervasive on college campuses, uh, where, you know, in high schools too, where young people are said, well, you only can succeed. And I, I'm a college professor, uh, but in high schools, they're, they're telling these young people that if you graduate from college, your average income is gonna be $20,000 higher than it would be if you won't, don't go to college. But what the, those statistics mask, and I, I talk about this in my labor economics class, is the, the difference between those two salaries are apples and oranges. And the reason why I say that is because uh, the people that graduate from college uh, and get a job in banking or whatnot probably could have gotten a job in banking or whatnot had they not gone to college. They have, they have a certain aptitude for, I don't know, dollars and, and math and whatnot. So the college doesn't really provide that that difference in pay. It's People are born with different abilities. My mom for example, could not do math, could not do algebra. Um, <laughs> my brother Ryan is the same way. Um, so people that go to college that have math skill uh, and graduate from college with a degree in quantitative in some quantitative field, it's not like the college uh, 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 provided them with the, the skills they need to succeed in this, the job market. So well, what I'm trying to say here is that the education system in America funnels everybody into college and then college is telling everybody that you know you can't work too hard if you work too hard it's somehow you know racist even though michael jordan is probably one of the hardest workers on the planet that ever existed right kobe bryant one of the hardest workers on the planet i mean steph curry that guy's in the gym at six o'clock in the morning leaves at eight o'clock at night and the guy's a hard worker and they don't get where they're at without hard work and so i think this is uh pretty per, per, uh pretty widespread amongst young people it's kind of like a general attitude of it's not cool to be a hard hard worker well i was uh when you mentioned the unemployment rate and you're you're making the leap because the unemployment rate is low <clears throat> that people can ever get a job and i yeah. I, uh, I well i'm talking about young people who are working in you know like marketing or coding you know some business professional uh, uh i'm not talking about like blue collar workers. I'm talking about, you know, the ones that are, you know, working at a, a Facebook or a Google or some tech startup. I'm, that's the, the kind of worker I'm talking about. Well, and I mean, I, trend my on first, media to be quiet quitters. But I was saying my, my first uh, economics class and I walked in, it probably was a sophomore, sophomore at uh, Notre Dame and the guy says, second day of class, said something to the effect of students, I'm going to tell you right now, the most useless number that everybody puts out is the unemployment rate. Oh, it is. Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it hasn't changed. I mean, for just, yeah. just it's not just me being grousing here. If you look at the numbers, I'm going to look at this is October, and again, this is the A1 report. There's 267 million people that are over the age of uh, 16, correct, on this country, of of which there's 167 considered million considered part of the the labor force of which 161 million are working and 6.5 million are are unemployed. We'll get to that in a second. 
and there's a hundred million that we don't know what they're doing. Okay, so in order to get yourself into the unemployed column, you have to be actively looking for a job. That's the definition. And I think, Hal, over over time, I worked for Uncle Jim once, and we all got laid off from Pullman. It didn't take me long to get another job, but I was unemployment for maybe four weeks. And uh, But you're supposed to tell people that you're actually looking for a job and check in. In those days, you had to check in. There was nothing online. Uh, but, but the idea is, if you're, if you're, but now unemployment's what, six months normally? And if it's bad times, they make it 12 months or whatever. I think we're back to six months. So the day you get off, you don't get the check. They count you now as not looking for a job, so therefore you're not unemployed. You pile into this end column, which is 100 million people. So the interplay between those two columns, the 6.5 million that they say is actively looking for a job, therefore are unemployed by definition, versus the 100 million in the last column, that interplay is, if all of a sudden the world got better and and, and 300,000 people said, oh, by the way, I'm going to go looking for a job, in theory they would jump into the employed column and it would make the unemployment rate worse even though the economy could be getting better. But there's no way to capture that number now, Hal, because they've gotten so friggin' lazy. If you're not getting the unemployment check, they don't count you. So if you were laid off as a professor... Well, actually, actually, the unemployment rate comes from the CPS survey. Um, and in the CPS survey, you know, they, they contact households and they, they ask how many people are working one hour a week right, right. or pay or I more, or how many, how many are working for 15 hours a week or more for a family-owned business with no pay. And if whatever that number is, you know, it might be five, then those five people um, are considered employed. Correct. I mean, they're very low bars for employment, right? Uh, if you say, I stop looking for work, then you're not considered employed. Right. You're, you're unemployed. So it really has nothing to do with benefit receipt. It's a matter of the survey. I, I think, you know, we maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I seem to recall on a couple of occasions I read that since they're not calling as many people as they used to, the minute they stop selling you a check, they put you in the final. They 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 flip you to the other column. Okay, so you know maybe there, maybe what's happened in the UK is what's uh, is happened here because a lot of people are no longer answering government surveys. And I read this article where the UK is actually uh, transforming its unemployment statistics from a survey to actual um, unemployment rolls. So that that might be happening. Yeah, cause, I mean I I don't see how the household survey is is being conducted the same way without people yeah. having landlines yeah well i think a better measure i mean if you can if we assume that the bls does a good job with the unemployment rate labor force statistics and whatnot a better measure would be the employment rate population ratio because in the employment population ratio the divisor is not the labor force the labor force uh will decrease if people stop looking for work the employment population ratio the divisor is the working age population which is very very stable and so if you look at the employment population ratio we have not recovered no absolutely not and I mean, what that's kind of my it's sort of my point is that since 2000 for every person entering the the, the potentially for, for every person making it over age 16 we've added we've added one to the labor force and one to we don't know what they do that that number i don't think that that number is long term I mean I don't see how the people there's only so many people 
that you and I are working that we can pay for. It's sort of like, sort of like crime and punishment. But there's always been bad people going back to you know, friggin' the Greeks, right? Probably before that. But if it's if it's one out of a thousand people, that's a, that's a you know, is a bad person. You can have police and you can deal with it. If it's if it's a hundred out of a thousand, how do you deal with it? Yeah. You know you know you go, well, you go back to the you go back back to Rome. Nobody worked right. Every, yeah. Everybody's got the doll. That even Caesar could well, couldn't, couldn't well, drop the doll. The, the the slaves of the citizens they worked right, but. Yeah, I, I could say that the citizens themselves. Yeah, I agree with that because they they gave out free wheat uh, to people. The doll right? that was the and, doll. Yeah, and the farmers that were growing wheat in Rome were like, "Well, why work hard and grow wheat when I can get it for free?" So they moved the cities and yeah. get the wheat for free, and all that farming was outsourced to other nations. Yeah, it was they, outsourced to the, the provinces. SP futures down seven, as if he's down thirty-two. Go back, talk a little bit about the market and the interest rates and how we should be positioning ourselves for the last month of the year uh, or next year with elections and everything else. Be right back, stocks and jobs. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas, and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Stocks, jocks, Stocks jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lone Wolf Base, Tyson Jacks, down tomorrow. Big Pappas on the board. SP Futures down 7. NASA Futures down 26. Dow Futures are down, uh, what are we down here? We are down a little, we're down 42. That's even with Boeing being up 3, 345 this morning. The biggest mover in the Dow is actually up, even though the futures are down. Uh, over in Europe, we've got the uh, uh, DAX down 25. Just down a little bit more than they were before. DAX down 25, that's 2.2%. FTSE down 26.4%. Kick around. Uh, down 47. That's a that's 0.65 percent. So that's uh that's down a bunch. Rolls Royce up six percent. Ubisoft is down nine percent. Whatever Ubisoft is. Over in Asia, the Nikkei down 39.1 percent. Hang Seng down 170. That's a full percent. 17,354. So a little bit less than the midpoint of that 17-18 range they've been in. Shanghai up 7.2 percent. Uh, so they uh, they were looking like they were ducking toward 3,000 again, but now they're Somewhat comfortably over at 3,038. Yesterday, slow day, down on, down on 56, S&P down 8, NASDAQ down 9. Uh, like I said, real slow. Uh, bonds, uh, 
unchanged 4.39 the bun uh, down one basis point 2.54 japan down two basis points 0.76 we have oil uh, up a, well it was up a little earlier but now down nine cents 74.77 so under 75 hours Brent down six cents 79.92 Brent the under 80 it's that's that's low natural gas down three cents 276 our bob unchanged 218 we've got gold is up 260 not much 2015 but hanging over 2000 silver unchanged 2468 that's been the big mover copper up a penny 376 uh, we have bitcoin up 420 bucks down it's over one percent 37,301 we have the u.s dollar which was virtually unchanged still kind of unchanged down just a hair with the euro at 1096 and the british pound at 1263 Greg, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Good morning, everyone. 7.33 a.m. here in Chicago. We got about 16 degrees outside now. 26 today, mostly sunny and cold. Phoenix, 53 degrees right now. 76 today with some sun. Traffic, lots of red on the traffic map here. Uh, inbound Kennedy Mon- from Montrose, uh, 47 minutes. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 95 minutes. Um, Eisenhower from Wolf to the interchange, 43 minutes. Inbound Ryan is 27 minutes to get from 95th to the interchange and the inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 39 minutes. Sports, NFL, uh, Bears beat the Vikings. That was in Minnesota, 12 to 10. NHL, we got um, Hawks and Coyotes playing tonight and they're both at home. And the Hawks play the Kraken and the Lightning play the Coyotes. So I got you. Back to you. The, uh, so, Hal, we've got, we got rid of, what, the debt ceiling problem, right? We kicked that to January 1st, 2025, is it? That's what I'm reading here. We've got, there's nothing that appears McCarthy. to be. McCarthy. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, McCarthy got fired for doing exactly what the new guy did. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, scary, isn't it? Um, yeah. What are you, uh, moving forward, I mean, we have, we, we it's, been, it's been out of the news now for a couple of weeks since this happened. We still have this, uh, we've had interest rates come back down, but the Fed continues to pour more bonds into the system, some of which the, you know, the Fed is buying. Uh, how long can, can, we, can we go without, without talking about it for, uh, for a long period of time, or, or what are we doing here with, in terms of the, uh, the amount of debt and everything? And, uh, are we just, can we just, if we don't talk about it, it's all okay, or can these interest rates stay here? It seems like every time they go out for a big uh, a treasury uh, sale, they're having harder and harder problems jamming it into people. I mean, what is this going to cause a problem on its own or only when we choose to look at it? Well, I think uh, most people um, that I know uh, anecdotally um, are kind of okay with their lives as long as the pebble in their shoe is not too big. And this happened to me yesterday, walking to the uh, school to pick up the kids. I had a couple of rocks in my shoe, and they were kind of small, and they kind of poked my skin every time I took a step. And it wasn't enough to get me to stop and, and uh, pull them out of my shoe. And I think a lot of Americans are kind of in that situation. And I think they're, gonna, they're kind of hoping that things kind of turn around. Personally, I don't think they're going to turn around. And you, we were talking about this before the break. The employment population ratio is nowhere near the trend of the pre-pandemic. And it looks like it has topped off. And whenever it has topped off in the past, a recession has followed. 
So unfortunately, I don't think things are going to get better, which means they're going to have to pull out more stimulus. They're, they're going to, I'm not saying it's good, they're going to pull out more stimulus. The Fed's going to have to print a bunch of money, and I think that's going to lead to more inflation. Um, and I think the Fed's starting to be inflationary too right now. You look at home prices, the Case-Shiller Index looks like it's double peaking. Uh, after I thought it was going to drop, it's, it's double peaking. So I think the Fed is, uh, I, I think it's banking problem. I think there's a banking problem. And the Fed is printing money to uh, paper over the, the fact that these small regional banks are uh, underwater in the bonds they had purchased three years ago versus interest rates today. Well, so they're I, underwater. I, in I the, think that's inflationary. It, it, it is. If you were to if you were to go to a, if there's another population somewhere in the universe, if you were to go there, and and lecture to people and say we have a Federal Reserve now, trying to save banks from these crummy bonds they bought, and some some guy like Greg puts up his hand in the first row and he goes, "Where'd they get the bonds?" And you say, "Well, the the, the government sold them to them." <laughs> <laughs> the people in the room would say, "What? What? What are you talking about?" I, See, that, that's why. That's why I don't think government is a solution. I mean, I tweeted something about uh, uh, a Bloomberg survey of investors, and the 600 of them, roughly, about half of them believe that the uh, the green stocks are going to continue their decline into next year, and. Why is that? Because I think government, when it gets into the business of trying to create or incentivize industries, it does a really bad job because it's playing with somebody else's money. And when you're playing with somebody else's money, you're not you're not you're not uh, disciplined. You're not uh, careful. When it's your own money, you're a lot more careful on what you do with your money. But they're playing with other people's money, and we we go back to Slendera, the Obama administration. They knew that Slendera was going to be bankrupt in 18 months, and guess what? It went bankrupt in 18 months. It didn't matter. Uh, so this this green this this green incent this green industry they want to create, it's just not feasible right now. I'm not saying I don't want it. I'd love for it to be feasible, but people have to spend money on chargers, the cars you can't take them across country, uh, the the vans I can't buy an electric vehicle van and go to North Carolina over the weekend. I mean, that that trip would be probably twice as long as would be otherwise. So the electric vehicles that we have now are basically compu- commuter cars. That, yeah. That's basically all they are. Which is, which is okay. It's okay, by the yeah, way. Which, yeah, it's yeah. okay. But they're very expensive. And it's very expensive to wire your house to charge your electric vehicle overnight. I mean, it costs like $10,000 for... I have, a, I have a really stupid installed. question. If, you, yeah. if, uh, if I'm driving my Tesla or whatever... And I I miss uh, all of a sudden there's a big problem on the interstate, so I got to take a, a county road and I get lost and I pull up in front of some farmer's house and my Tesla is drained and all he's got is a huge ex- extension cord, a uh, 110. How long is this guy putting me up for before my car's ready to go again? How long does it take to <laughs> charge one of these things? Well, if you pull up with a Tesla on some rural farm, you you might not get a warm welcome. You might not. He might not let you plug in. <laughs> I was watching uh, this really great show on Paramount about the black uh, uh, marshal that was hired to uh, police the Indian Territory. And the actor is just wonderful. He's an, an African actor named David something. Well, I saw a preview and, for that. Is that pretty good? Yeah, it, it's great. And 
there's an episode that I watched, the latest one, where he and his partner, his posse man, are uh, ex, uh, transporting a, pa- uh, 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 a prisoner through the territory, and it's raining. And they find a house for lodging, right? And back then there weren't hotels. <laughs> right. See, the, the prisoner was black. He was in handcuffs. He takes the handcuffs off the prisoner, and he tells uh, the people that, hey, we need lodging for the night. And they put him up. And in one scene, there's these weird bottles. So that you're kind of thinking they do voodoo or something. And there's one scene where they're drinking this this drink, and the posse man who speaks English, he's uh, Native uh, American, he, he motions to them not to drink the punch. <laughs> but but in the morning, before the, the couple wakes, they leave uh, some uh, coins on the table, and they get a head start to get this prisoner back to the uh, the courthouse. It's really good TV, though. God, it's a... Yeah, I don't. I think I think that might be your experience if you drive up. With an EV at some well, so, but how long does it? If, if if all I have is a regular extension cord, how long does it take to charge yeah. the thing? Is it a week? Oh, it's probably gonna take. It's probably gonna take uh, probably at least overnight. So, I mean, those fast chargers, I think they they may they may charge within fifteen twenty minutes. So fast charger is two twenty, or is it more? Well, I'm not sure what the voltage is, but uh, and I think you gotta be really careful too if you if you fast charge your cars too fast and too deep. You can actually ruin the battery, right. so it's kind of like you want to go from ten percent dead, well, ten percent power. But the, but the power you like get in any house in the U.S. the only yeah the most you can get from the your normal alley. I'll use the for the the transformer in the alley is two twenty, right? Yeah, two twenty. Yeah, you, you can't get more than that unless you have a. Unless, I think industrial applications you get four forty. Oh yeah, they said four forty. You know, there's four forty in uh, train cars. Yeah. Oh, but it's, it's, but yeah, house. The house is two twenty or you know one ten, two twenty, two twenty one, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. Two twenty, two twenty one. But uh, yeah, let me ask you this, Tom. Was that a mistake in the movie? Because Jack, the guy that said, "Well, two twenty, two twenty, whatever it takes," he was the mechanical engineer for Detroit Auto Cars, right? Was that a mistake? He would know. Well, he, he would it was know a, about. Yeah, but he, he was he was acting the part. Yeah, maybe, maybe, because I thought I thought he was like, if you look at his facial expression, he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he was like, try, trying to cover the fact that he didn't know what two twenty meant. And he's an engineer; he should know what two twenty means. Well, the uh, the when I used to, was doing this um, stuff for Amtrak's Pullman's delay and disruption claim on Amtrak, and I was doing a lot of research on various parts of railroad cars. I think the head end power comes back at four forty. Well, and then. Uh, the, the the stuff that comes off the locomotive and then the 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 complexity of the electrical systems and a uh, a train car are, are spectacular and the yeah. same way with the HVAC unit because if you uh boy we should get on this road get on for like thirty seconds because I think it's somewhat interesting but how many people have ever gone into a restaurant and uh, open up the door in the winter time and all of a sudden there's this big sucking sound and you cool off the whole place right if it's below zero outside or you go to a big building and you happen to notice there's a revolving door and you say, hey, why, why is there a revolving door? It's, it's amazingly difficult to keep the air pressure of the building essentially the same as the outside so that air doesn't go either way when a door opens. Yeah. And it's really tough to do that. You can imagine on a railroad car that, uh, you know, every time you open a door, you can't have air rushing into the thing or rushing out. So it's, 
it's very difficult to make, to, and I, they would sit there, okay, in, in the bathroom, for instance, guess what, you've got an exhaust fan, duh, <laughs> or else, you know, you got a problem, uh, there's an exhaust fan. Well, r- to, right down to when that's behind, it takes, what, 225 centimeters of air a minute, well, you have to somehow find a way to get 225 centimeters of air from the outside into the car some other way, so you balance that out. Yeah. And it's... It's pretty fascinating. I mean, if, if you ever, if anybody's ever gone to Vegas, when it's, uh, I don't know, now I've been there so long, but the old places, they wanted to, the casinos to be as welcoming as possible from the sidewalk. So they would have no, they would have no front doors. Exactly, yeah. So, so there's this big, huge opening, and it's 110 degrees outside, and oh, by the way, it's 72 in the casino. Yeah. And you, you walk through the they door. They do that in New York, too. Yeah. They do that in New York at the big stores, because they want people to feel that cool yeah. air. Yeah. And it pulls them in. But the but the idea is, you want the air to be exactly the same barometric pressure as outside, so yeah. you're not losing your AC and you're not sucking in heat. That that's real hard to do. It's real hard to yeah. do. And uh, so anyway, it's it's kind of what you were you were, you were talking about with the, with the you know the electric cars. What what are we what are we doing here? Are we actually gaining or are we losing? There's no doubt in any, I don't think anybody's mind. At 20 years from now, you want to be using way more renewable stuff on a percentage basis than 30 years ago. I mean, the question is, yeah, how, it, how do you get there? It, yeah, how do you get there? Well, to me, if this were really about the environment, uh, we would be doing what Sweden and Finland and Norway are doing, building nuclear power plants. Without so a doubt. Nuclear power plants, you know, they don't emit CO2. If you think CO2 is a problem, you build nuclear power plants. And we're not doing that. And we're hoping that, you know, solar panels and wind is going to be able to handle that, but our grid system's not set up for this. And this is why I don't want government making these kinds of decisions. And going back to the welfare issue you're talking about, before the, the state monopolized welfare, there were all kinds of mutual aid societies, privately funded mutual aid societies. There were uh, mutual aid societies for Irish immigrants. There were mutual aid societies. Today, there's a mutual, mutual aid society that the Mormons still run called the Bishop Storehouse. So, I, I prefer a privatized version of welfare. Well, Catholic charities in Chicago is still huge. Yeah, it's still huge, right? And um, so I, I actually prefer that system because in Washington State, for example, when I was doing my PhD research, um, I came across the numbers. And at, at the time, it seemed like, if I remember right, this is like 20, 30 years ago, so forgive me if I forget. But the number of people, if, if you go to the Washington State Welfare Office in Olympia, it's like a college campus. They're doing pretty high-level research there. And I have a friend that, uh, I'm not sure if he's still there, but him and I were in school together. And the administrative, it's like the universities, the administrative uh, burden, the, the number of people working in the welfare system to provide the benefits to the people, it's it was like, I don't know, one for two or one for one at the time. So as many people that were on welfare there was like uh, a half or one person working in the welfare system. Well, yeah, we were talking about it. We were talking about earlier with uh, yeah. with uh, Brendan. I mean, how, how many fingers in the pie going down? I mean, we're talking about the migrants here and the numbers. How many you yeah. know thousand dollars? I don't know what the number is. It's a thousand dollars a day or five hundred dollars a day to to feed a migrant. Well, the Chicago Food Depository. <laughs> they, they, they feed like two hundred thousand people a day. Yeah. And it's, and it's not a hundred dollars a plate. I guarantee you. I'd rather have private sector people, you know, hustling, 
trying to figure out where they're going to get the money so they can help these people out who are in need. I want them to be doing it because they're going to be very good stewards of that money. The state is confiscating our our income in the form of taxation. It's a it's a forced contribution. It's a forced charity contribution. And I think when you when you do that, you get all kinds of graft and and waste. And so well, I, it's, I prefer it's, it's, a market system. But it, the the market system is the only. And, and there's a lot of stuff that you can say is wrong about the market system, the, the incentives and stuff. And you know, there's a lot, been a lot a lot of bad capitalists and. My favorite, my favorite. Who, who, but who, but who, I think the bad capitalists are the ones that are seeking monopoly protection from the state. Well, I'm talking about the my my favorite knave of all time had to be Jay Gould. Remember that name? Yeah, I remember Jay Gould, we, and we disagree on Jay Gould. He was a good guy. I thought I thought Jay Gould was a monopoly buster. No, I he, thought he was he, trying to bust monopolies. No, he he just he he ripped apart how many railroads and screwed them all over so bad it was you know whatever. But. That is, you know, that we we should read more about him and actually talk about the guy someday because it's pretty interesting. But, yeah. um, I, yeah, there's two histories on. Jay but Gould. it's a, when you when you talk about, you, boy, I'm gonna go back to my cost accounting days. You're, you're talking about overhead rates, really. Yeah. And, and in the private sector, let's say you know what I was good at is if I was going to price out a railroad car, okay, and, and you say it's a competitive bid. Well, 80% of the car, well, not 80%, but 60% of the car, you buy from other people. You're buying the air conditioner, you're buying the trucks, you're buying, you know, the seats. So 60% of the car, you're buying the lights, is the same number that every manufacturer has, right? So you can't you can't say, I'm, I'm going to go with a bid where I'm not going to put any seats in. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to yeah. work. So, so, so fifty-five. I'm going to say it's more. Customers, like, don't, customers don't like to stand up in the rail no, cars, no. especially with their luxury rail cars. And you, and you kind of want the thing air conditioned. Oh yeah, we didn't put yeah. one on this car. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but, but actually, it was. Now I'm thinking about it. It was like fifty-two percent of the car was bought from other people. So then you had your direct labor. All right. So it's going to. And and by the way, you got to buy steel and all the other stuff. But now all of a sudden, or aluminum or whatever you're using, stainless steel. And you're going to sit there and go, all right, we got to put the sides together. we got to put the roof together. we got to, we're essentially, we make the frame and then we're an assembler. All right, so we're going to have 2,000 of direct labor hours per car. If we're doing a bunch of welding and stuff, it's probably not 2,000, it's probably like 900 maybe, uh, per car. We have a CTA car or something. Actually, I have the bit at home still. And then we're going to say, okay, what's, how much did we pay for labor hour? At that time it was 22 bucks an hour or something. Now, what's our overhead rate? Is it? Is it uh, a half? Is it fifty percent? Where for every direct labor hour of twenty bucks an hour, we got to add ten dollars because those are the guys that are are hauling them the you know the the parts and, and the guys that are stocking the parts and, and the president and the vice president. I mean, what what is our labor rate to run the building and everything else? I mean, our overhead rate. I say that now to people; they have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. so 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 say the overhead rate was a hundred percent. You could probably get away with that, okay? But if you got to be 200%, you weren't competitive. Yeah. Your, your bid was no good. And now, I go back to, and again, this is not a, you know, a religious thumping the Bible thing here, but when I went to St. John Fisher Grammar School, we had a lot of Irish people in the neighborhood that liked to procreate. We had, the, the school was a square mile with a golf course in there, and we had 1,600 kids in the class. Can you, can you imagine that? <laughs> This, this, and plus there were kids that went to public school. So, so he had 
four classes of 40 to 45 kids in every grade, and then two kindergartens. So you had, so you got four times eight is 32, and two kindergarten teachers, that's 34. You had a principal, an assistant, two janitors, and a music teacher. Yeah. So you had, you had five indirect people for, for 34 direct people. And if somebody called in sick, the principal came and taught class, which yep. is not what you want to have happen in eighth grade, the principal teaching your class. Because she was a little harsher than the teacher. <laughs> just, just saying. Uh, but, I mean, so now fast forward to University of, of uh, California. I think there's ten indirect people for every teacher. Yeah. You, you, you can't do that. <laughs> but, yeah. but only government can get away with that. No, no company yeah. could. And th- these are these are government schools. These are yeah. heavily subsidized schools. But so. but but if you were to have, if we were to say let's let's you know there's a bunch of old school buildings running in Chicago, but let's say we buy one of those and we're we're tired of Notre Dame Northwestern being seventy grand, and we we're going to get a, a really good you know business economics undergrad school, and we're going to have you know thirty classrooms in here. We don't even need thirty because we get classes all during the day and night. We got Hal, we got Russell, we got Kevin, we got. You don't have to have little liberal arts, so we're going to have Eric teaching people how to read and write, which they need. Uh, we're going to get 25 professors. Now, your overhead is you have to have a few more people in college because people got to be getting money for people. So I'm going to say if we, we we could probably pump out a student for, in the, I'm going to just off the top of my head, I'm going to say we could do that in a ten to $12,000 a year range, not seven. Now seventy includes room and board. I think that I think I, I think that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. I actually do. Yeah. So if, if we put something together that made some sense, where you know uh, we're, we're not paying for the the girls' fencing team or the guys' soccer team or anything like that, screw all or that. all that compliance with the NCA rules. Yeah, yeah just, if, you, if you guys want, if you guys want to have a here's a park down the block. If if you want to have a, a cl- <laughs> you want to have a club rugby team, knock yourself out, you know that type of thing. Doesn't mean people don't want to play sports. And maybe we even would have a gym if you want to go down there, go down and shoot baskets after the after between well, class. Well, I think a good back. marketing a, a good marketing ploy would be you could beat the faculty at softball or basketball. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> my point know. is, I mean, it's it's where 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 do we reach the point where we're, we're so inefficient that we that we, that we're we're, we're 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 so fat we're we're, we're falling our, falling all over ourselves. I mean, I mean, yeah. you, you can't have as many people helping the people on welfare as there are on welfare. <laughs> Wait, yeah. who, who be, who, who's now on welfare? The people that work for the state, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying last week, and I think the week before is, I think there's always been, I think Marx got it wrong, and I think the current set of Marx has got it wrong. The the class conflict has always been between the productive class and the people who get paid by the state, the the people that are the net receivers of those tax benefits, and that includes the defense contractors, uh, administrators of the state, uh and politicians, right? And I think in the 1930s, uh, they wanted to, you know, make sure that, that their power is secure. So they start adding people to these the, the, the net receiver roles. You got uh, government retirement pension programs, and then you have the Great Society where we're going to expand Medicare. M- M- Medicare was going to was only supposed to be nine million people. I think it was nine billion dollars in 1990, and ended up being like 110 billion dollars in 1990. So you, you generally, the people that receive the money from the taxpayers through force, force, uh, for uh, by force through taxation, they want to grow that group of people that are receiving because they're on their side, right? 
and eventually the system falls apart. It, it, it can no longer support itself. And I think I think we're getting close to that point uh, in that article. If we get down to like 55 or 50, I think the system kind of implodes on itself. There, there's just too many people uh, who are uh, net receivers of taxes and not enough payers of taxes. And, and at that point, you can't just tax it and increase it. You have to find ways to reduce the people who are net receivers of the tax. But you, you can see why does this... It continually goes in one direction. I think, like I said before, capitalism, or, or I, won't, I won't say capitalism, I'll say uh, competitive economy, there's a discipline to this. If all yeah. of a sudden Pullman's overhead rate got to 400%, guess what? We never got a job. We are yeah. out of business. And th- that disciplines you. That disciplines you. you. You have to find ways to figure out how to get that ratio down, right? Well, but, I mean, if you were to In go back... you can just print money. In government, you just print money and your problem is solved. But and then you, the people pay for it in form of inflation. But if you go back to the some of the public works projects in this country and you look at the Golden Gate Bridge, you look at Hoover Dam, you look at TVA, I don't think that even a cost accounting guy like I used to be, I don't see... I mean, I, I watch those guys and, you know, read books on the... I look at the amount of direct laborers versus the people who were on the sidelines... I think they, they that was government, and they were very efficient. I mean, yeah. I, and you go well, back I th- to I think I think if businesses if businesses want to uh, sell, and they need ways to sell, they need roads and bridges, and if a business wants to get its product from Idaho to um, to Portland, well, some business. Is going to say, well, you know, I'm going to figure out a way to make it more efficient. I'm going to, I'm going to create a ferry system along the Snake River, and then maybe that ferry system has a monopoly, right? And so another business person goes, well, I'm going to build a road. I'm going to build a road. I'm going to buy land from the property owners at market value, um, and I'm going to build this road to the to Portland. And then people, if people want to use that road, I'll charge them a price. I think in that world, we get much better road systems, much better rail systems, much better port systems. Well, I mean... I'm, because they're disciplined by the market. But I'm saying, even even your, your military-industrial complex, I mean, when, when you first... Some of the most iconic planes they were ever made were in the Skunk Works that were uh, at... Uh, Lack, not Lackey, who was the other guy? Um, Northrop. Northrop was the Skunk Works. And those guys, all they did was go to, go to work and work. They didn't have a million people helping yeah. them out. Somebody... You know, yeah. driving them in and all that kind of stuff. Somehow we get this this load. I mean, when I was on the CBOE, the system was designed, the open outcrying system, to discipline itself. If, you, if somebody made a trade and you didn't hear it, everybody start bitching. Hey, what'd you do over there? You paid three eighths. I just I just sold them at five five sixteenths. I mean, it was, but now <laughs> you got you got a bunch of, of of people from the regulating group standing around the pit all day, just standing there watching. And you, and you, can't oh, yeah, even do, you can't even do anything open arm credit. What's the watch? <laughs> There's nothing to yeah. watch. I mean, that, that, that happened at Idaho National Engineering Lab when I was a staff instructor for nuclear the nuclear power program in the Navy. In October, I noticed, because I was there for three years, I noticed out there on the desert, the high desert, 6,000 feet high above sea level, I noticed in October they'd dig a bunch of holes. And when I walk, when I go into work in the morning, there are a lot of engineers standing around the hole, kind of kicking dirt in the hole. This was October, right? So what are they doing? They're burning their budget. Yeah, oh yeah. Right? My uncle, my uncle worked out there as an engineer after he graduated from college, and he hated working out there because he was given one project a month. And he he's a busybody. He he wants to work, right? He doesn't want to pretend to work. 
So he'd drive around with his plans in his arm and just drive around trying to feel busy. And he actually left the job because they didn't expect him to do anything, one project a month. He goes and works as a private civil engineer. He's having more fun because he's doing five projects a week instead of one project a month. Well, if, so I think the, the general issues if you, if you, if you want to, we, we got a dash here, but if you want to, if you, if you work in a factory, if you want to just be able to do something all day long, you're paid, no one knows what the hell you're doing, put on the white hat, which the white hard hat, which means your, your management, put about yeah. five rolls of drawings under your arm and just walk around. They all, think, they all think you're going somewhere. <laughs> With those drugs, you're going to make some big decision. You could just circle the place for eight hours or go home. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the guy with the stapler in the office space, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Al, have a good week, buddy. SP Futures down 850. DSA Futures down 28. Greg, thank you very much. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.